Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia, called Calvary 316. You can learn more about the church by visiting our website, which is calvary316.tv. Once again, that's calvary316.tv. I hope you stay with me over the next hour or so as we seek to deconstruct the negative perceptions of Christians by boldly and brashly discussing today's relevant topics in an honest and a genuine way. As we mention frequently, one of the most important aspects of the Outlaw Radio Show is my desire to connect with you, the listening audience. If you have any questions, if you want to challenge something that was said on the show, or you would just like to submit topics, you know, things you'd like me to address. Literally, nothing is off limits. There are several ways that you can reach me. First, email the Outlaw Radio Show email address. The official email address is info at outlawradio.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. And then our Twitter handle is radio underscore outlaw. And if you're interested in having your question played live on the air, you can always call me at 678 883 333 316, leave a voicemail. Once again, that's 678-883-3316. If your question is pithy, it may even get played live on the air. Today we have a, a really interesting show planned for you, and that is to discuss a topic that's, I don't know, I find to be incredibly relevant. And that is the topic of, of Christianity, Christians, the church, and how much or how little we should be engaged in the political sphere. If you kind of take a, a broad spectrum uh, analysis, there's really three traditional camps, specifically in America, about politics. First, there are Christians that are completely apolitical. They, they believe in the, the full separation of church and state, the church has no business getting involved in politics. Christians have no business getting involved in politics. As a matter of fact, uh, it completely uh, lessens our our mission as Christians. It convolutes our identity. Uh, these people don't even vote. They, they adopt a bit of a Christian fatalistic outlook. Like, why should I care? Why should I get involved? I got better things to be doing. Uh, what God wills, God wills. But then there's also those who like merge the two. They use politics to affect social change. They get super political and see it as a tool uh, to impose Christian values onto society at large. And then you have those that that are just uh, looking to be Christians who influence politics. Uh, you have organizations like the the Gospel Coalition. You have Liberty University. You have, you have Christians who uh, rally together to become a voting bloc. And so we seek out politicians, we seek out leaders, uh, we seek out individuals um, in the political sphere that will represent our interests. As I was thinking about who to talk to about these topics and more, uh, I couldn't think of anybody I'd rather speak to uh, than a friend of mine by the name of David Guzik. Uh, David Guzik is a pastor, he's a theologian, uh, he's a historian, and so, if you'd join me, I'd like to welcome Pastor David Guzik to the Outlaw Radio Show. Welcome, David. Pastor Zach, it's a pleasure to be with you here today. Just because a lot of the the audience, the listening audience, might not be familiar with you and, and kind of your background, a bit of your biography, um, who you are, your ministry, could you just take just a second and just kind of let the audience know who you are and, and, uh, and what your specialty is? Well, uh, I'm a pastor, of course. And uh, I've been in Christian ministry for 35 plus years. Uh, but my real passion is uh, Bible exposition and uh, even the writing and the online publication, especially of Bible commentary. Uh, I have a complete commentary on the Bible at EnduringWord.com. And uh, some people find it helpful. Uh, I have a real interest as well. Uh, especially through work that I've done at Bible colleges and, and other work in theology and in the history of the church. So I'm just a man who loves God, uh, loves his family, and really loves God's Word and explaining it to other people. I'll tell you, aside from stealing most of your material on EnduringWord.com, 
Um, years ago, you did, uh, I think it was 17 studies. It was called the, the Whiteboard Sessions. And I uh, got a hold of it and listened to it just about church history. And so you, you have a quite a, an understanding of church history in addition to a theology. Would I be correct in kind of uh, framing it that way? Well, my, my undergraduate degree at the University of California, Santa Barbara, was in history. And fortunately, I was able to focus my coursework on classes on the history of Christianity and the history of Europe, two things that are of great interest to me. So I have an abiding interest in church history and just history period, and I think it's important, instructive for Christians the best we can to learn uh, from what God has done and what man has done in the past. So our topic today is to try to delve into Christianity, the church, Christians, the individual, and and how involved in politics we should be. And so I just kind of want to open it up just in a very broad sense, how political should the church or Christians, if you can parse it that way, be? Should we be political? Should we stay out of the political realm? Should we seek to just influence it? What are your thoughts, just in a, in a very general sense? Well, that, Zach, it's a big question, and it's somewhat of an inflammatory question, to be honest, although I don't mind you asking. I think it's just something for us to talk about. My first reaction is, if I were to sort of wipe away uh, the impressions we have from our present political situation, our present society, just on principle alone, I would say Christians who live in a democracy should be very political. We should have a great interest for the politics and the welfare of our nation. A democracy invites the citizens to be part of the political process, and Christians shouldn't abandon the political process. They shouldn't uh, uh, leave it just to others, uh, many of whom do not have Christian values, uh, to go ahead and dominate the political sphere. Um, we should do it not for the good, necessarily, of of protecting the gospel with political power. The gospel doesn't need the protection of political power, but we should do it for the good of the society that we live in. Now, having said that, let me throw a huge caveat onto that. While on principle, I believe that Christians should be involved in the political process because the democracy invites them to, I think that there's something really askew, really off the mark in the American political environment in the 21st century, and it's simply this, is that Christianity is far over-identified with one political party in the United States, evangelical Christianity. That's fascinating, yeah. I, I don't think that that's healthy for Christianity. I don't think that that's helpful for the political process. And so I have real misgivings in an environment where the message is to many people, whether it's intended or not, the message is this. If you want to become a Christian, you have to sign on to a particular political party. And let's be real, in, in large circles, it's you got to be Republican. Well, it is, of course. I mean, that that's the political party that evangelical Christians in the United States uh, predominantly identify for. And, and I, I don't – I think it's fascinating to talk about the reasons for that politically, culturally, spiritually. I, I think one of the greatest um, reasons for it is that the Democratic Party has become so unbelievably pro-abortion. Right. And and has, has absolutely abandoned any um, accommodation to those in the party who might be pro-life that that has basically told evangelical Christians, you're not welcome here in the Democratic Party, which I think is tragic. From a historical angle, has, has there ever been a time, I mean, you look back at church history and, and you can clearly point out times where the state and the church merged and it didn't benefit the state nor did it benefit the church. And then you can look at other points in history where there was a complete uh, separation of the two, and that didn't benefit the state, nor did it benefit the church. Has there ever been a time in, ch in church history um, where there was a balance between the two? Any examples? Well, I think for a lot of American history, it's worked well. I think that the American founding fathers had a, a really unique wisdom in this, and, and their kind of conception, the best I understand, I know there's debate about these things historically, but the best I understand it was that they, they kind of perceived 
that it should be a secular state with a religious people. That, that works pretty well. You, you don't need a religious state. You don't need a marriage between church and state. But what you do need is you do need, um, in a democracy, the fundamental thing with the people is that they need to have spiritual values, religious values. They, they need to um, uh, have that to govern themselves and the society well. Uh, so there have been times, but Zach, I'll tell you, one of the biggest differences between Christianity in Europe and in America is the legacy of the state church in Europe. You know, many people wonder why, you know, we're, we're essentially the same kind of people and uh, same Western society. Why should the cause of Christianity be, on a relative basis, stronger in the United States by a great margin than in Europe? The legacy of the state church in Europe still is very damaging to the cause of Christianity there. Christians should not be in favor of the idea of a state church. We want there to be um, a, a, a sense that, that the church doesn't try to lord it over the government, and the government definitely doesn't try to lord it over the church. You mentioned principles to kind of guide the perspective. What principle from, from a New Testament context necessitates that a Christian be involved in, in, a, in the political processes within a democracy? Like, where would you build well, a, the scriptural justification for that necessity? Romans chapter 13 is a key passage, and those New Testament passages that speak about our being good citizens, our obeying the law, our honoring the king, our paying our taxes. We also find this not only from those passages in the New Testament that emphasize those themes, we also find it among the early Christians. You know, Zach, in the early uh, church, when Christians were persecuted by a hostile and obviously pagan Roman government, in those days when Christians were persecuted, the apologists did what they could to defend the cause of Christianity uh, before the world. And they made many arguments to the secular world regarding um, uh, how Christianity was not to be regarded as dangerous or should not be regarded as dangerous. One of the great things they said is, Christians are your best citizens. We're honest, we pay our taxes, we pray for the emperor, as the scriptures tell us to pray for kings and those in authority. Um, and, and they made that argument, not that Christians were against the political realm, but that they were good citizens. So we find it very strong, both in the New Testament and in the writings of the early church, that Christians have a, a great responsibility to be good citizens where they live. Do you think, is there a danger when the church becomes too political? You mentioned the, the state church and the legacy that is left within Europe, but like bring it into the American context. Are we in a well, dangerous think, place? Yes. I, again, I think that it's dangerous whenever one particular political party is overly identified with the cause of evangelical Christianity. When there's one political party that's perceived as the Christian party, I, I, I think that that's a dangerous place. Um, because what I champion for is individual Christian um, involvement in politics. I think there needs to be more and more of that. More Daniels, more Josephs, more men who will just stand up and stand in the gap, and women too, of course. I don't mean to exclude them in the slightest. But men and women who will stand in the gap and take political leadership and bring their true Christian values to the political sphere, there needs to be more of that and not less. Uh, but this perception in the culture that Christianity is identified with one particular uh, political party, I think that's bad for the party, more importantly, I think it's bad for the cause of Christianity. Zach, politicians, I don't think necessarily, sometimes this is done in a very Machiavellian, devious way. Other times it's just done out of second nature. But politicians are always look, looking to use Christians and to use them just for their votes and their political support. That's fascinating. That's something we need to be wary of. That's absolutely fascinating. Listen, we're running up against a hard break. Uh, if you're listening, please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more on this topic with Pastor David Guzik. 
If you're in Georgia listening right now in the greater Athens area and you don't have a church home, we encourage you to check out the church that Zach Adams pastors, Calvary 316. Not only would you be hard-pressed to find a collection of people more real and genuine about their Christian experience, but the entire outlaw radio culture of grace flows out of the ministry of Calvary 316. Keep in mind, Calvary 316 is a church that's relaxed and uber-contemporary, but is unapologetically believer-focused. We focus our service on teaching the Bible in order to see Christians grow and mature in their faith. To learn more about the church community or to access Zach's sermon media, please visit calvary316.com. Once again, that's calvary316.com. Welcome back. We're joined by Pastor David Guzik, and we're talking about Christianity and our role within politics. And and David, I want to ask just a real, um, this past election, you had two very flawed candidates. Uh, And I don't think I'm going out on a limb when I say that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were flawed candidates. That for most of us, it was a choice of of really two evils. And I heard a lot of Christians, especially more millennial Christians, kind of adopting a measure of Christian fatalism in the sense of like, well, I'm just not going to vote. I mean, really, does it matter? You know, the electoral college, my vote's just one of many. I live in a blue state or a red state. Uh, My voice doesn't carry any weight. And when it's all said and done, it's God who anoints kings uh, over the people anyway. Um, So I want to ask, should Christians, should American Christians feel obligated to vote in a presidential election? Yes. And I'll just explain why. It's because our democracy affords us a stewardship as citizens. And anytime God gives us a stewardship, I think we should uh, use it and we should use it wisely. Now, I suppose I could think of a situation, uh, either with a past election or maybe with a future election, where somebody would, after great deliberate thought, would say, the best exercise of my stewardship in this particular usage is to not vote or to do some other kind of thing. But it should be carefully and prayerfully considered and done so with a true recognition that in a democracy, a vote is a stewardship, and God holds us, I believe, to account for how we use the stewardship that he gives us. So you would absolutely say that it is the responsibility of Christians to vote, even when you have two candidates that are as flawed as as they were? I mean, you really didn't have much of an option. Well, no, you didn't. And I think there was kind of a universal feeling in the United States, almost a sigh that said, is this really the best we can do? I mean, is this is this really where we're at? But regard that, I, I, again, I, I, I would say I, I wouldn't, I would try to discourage any Christian from refusing to vote out of a fatalistic attitude. I think that that kind of fatalistic, well, what does it matter? Who cares? There's nothing we can do. God will do whatever he's going to do. But the, the, the idea, though, is that in our democracy, God gives us some kind of voice. And if a Christian were to say, listen, I sought God about it. I searched the scriptures about it. My Christian conscience tells me that in this particular case, the best use of my Christian stewardship is to not vote for that particular office or to vote for an alternative candidate or something like that or to write in a candidate. Well, then, you know, God bless them. But just to evacuate the political sphere because it's a mess, I, I don't think God wants us to do that in a democracy. Let me add, let me let me frame an interesting question. Um that, that, that most might actually shrink back from because of the nature of it. Um, would Jesus, if Jesus was, was, was an American, if, if you just fast forward, you know, the whole, would Jesus have voted? Would Jesus have been involved? Would, would he have cast a ballot? Wait, you mean Jesus isn't an American? Is this? <laughs> is this? No, he's, he's actually old English. Um, I've seen the, right. I've seen the movies. <laughs> He does always speak with an English accent in those Jesus movements, doesn't he? We've got the evidence on film. No doubt about it. But I mean, but the question is like, would so so much of the of the New Testament? So you have you have a Jewish people and under Roman domination, you have um, like the idea of there being the freedom to vote, of the freedom to have a say. I mean, it's kind of a foreign idea. 
Um, yes. Not not you know introduced way later historically, but would Jesus would Jesus from what we know of of him, of him and his ministry would he have voted if he had had the opportunity? Well, Zach, I, I think you're going out on, on a limb here. I, I think we're talking in a very theoretical, hypothetical way, which is dangerous. Uh, I understand so, that. Well, it, it can be fun, um, you know, and I, I suppose you can always edit this out later if it doesn't really work. But <laughs> no, Zach, we're not Zach, editing anything out you, at all. Zach, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say that Jesus did vote for a particular candidate? There was a candidate that won, and and I don't think it was because God was frustrated in His will. And, and whether or not that candidate won because he means it to be God's form of blessing upon the nation, or maybe sometimes God puts a man in power or a woman because he means to bring judgment upon that people. But wouldn't you say, kind of in a detached sense, that God did vote in this election? That's that's a fascinating thought. Can you, can you kind of tie that in? Because that sounds a lot of like the Old Testament dynamic of the appointing of kings to oversee both Israel and Judah. And that the king, to a degree, represented the people. Um, if he was a wicked king, it was for judgment. If it was a good king, it was for blessing. Is there a, a larger principle that that applies from from scripture to that idea? Well, I think absolutely. I think one of the ways that God exercises judgment over a society is to bring among them incompetent and wicked leadership. As you mentioned very well, this is one of the ways that we see God's judgment manifest on the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah in the days of biblical history. So, oh yeah, that that dynamic is very, very much at work. And um, we we can say, uh, yes, God ordained this particular person to be elected into this office, but I don't think he meant it for good. I think he meant it to chastise the people. Uh, th- we see examples of that in Scripture. Aside from voting and, and the, the nature of, of casting the ballot and the Christian's responsibility, I, I thought you, you framing it in the, in the sense of stewardship, um, really thought-provoking. I've got to chew on that idea a bit. Um, but beyond the stewarding of a vote within a democracy— um, I want to frame kind of the direction of our conversation by asking kind of two extremes. One, are there examples that you see of Christians who are engaged in a political process that you take a step back and say that's wrong? Well, I'm maybe not as knowledgeable on these things as I could be to give you specific names or instances, but just with my general aversion to an over-identification with Christianity in any one particular political party. I, I guess just that thing. I, 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 I don't want to see so much of that. Again, to get back to the principle, I don't want a person to feel that in America, if I become a Christian, I need to become a Republican. Hmm. That I, to, to me, I think that that, is a, um, that casts a shadow over the gospel and that it it really introduces something that now I, I could see, I could see very logically, a person becomes a Christian uh, in the course of their discipleship, their heart and mind is transformed, things that previously were not of value to them now become values and, and, uh, and great of interest to them in their life, of great concern to them, and that that has a very real effect on their uh, political outlook and political allegiances are changed. But to me, that seems like a very natural, organic thing instead of a, a over-identification of one political party with evangelical Christianity. Do you think that, that within this merging, you know, the dynamic of Christianity and, and politics, because I see this a lot and, and I want your thoughts on it. You know, there's, we have social issues. We, there are issues within our society um, that need to be addressed. And as opposed to allowing the gospel to transform the hearts of society and therefore transforming that society, um, do you see, because I, I think I do, some Christians seeking to use the state to enact social change when that's not the heart of the gospel? I remember many years ago, I think, so if I'm misquoting this, I hope your reader, your listeners will forgive me, I think it was Pat Robertson in the 1980s. I think I re- it might even been in the 1970s. 
I think I heard him say on his program, we will never have spiritual revival in our country until we have legislative reform. And I was just a young Christian at the time I heard him say that, and it immediately struck me even then as very wrongheaded. I don't think that legislative uh, reform is essential at all for us to have spiritual revival. Uh, and so I think that there is, there's a, there's a, um, a separation between the two where um, it's possible for political success to make for a more difficult spiritual environment. We see this consistently throughout church history. And so give me an, I, give me I an example from should, church history just to, to illustrate well, I mean the point. in in the broadest strokes when Christianity triumphed in the days of Constantine the Roman emperor and following it went from a persecuted despised religion to being a religion that had access and uh, friends in high political places and it led ultimately of course it wasn't immediate uh, but ultimately, and fairly soon, it led to a tremendous corruption in the church. You know, th this marriage between church and state, it, it led to great darkness and difficulty uh, in the medieval church. And even, as I said before, has repercussions to the church today uh, in America. I think one of the things that was just ordained by God in his mercy towards America is that we never had a state church. And uh, wow. th those marriages never work out well for the church, and and I think they don't work out well for the state either. So in some regards, you know, we we shriek back at the notion of the separation of church and state, and we have that debate. But there is a healthy dynamic of of the state operating independently from the church, so that the church then operates also independently from the state. Uh, I hope you can stay with us if you're listening. Don't go anywhere. We've got more with David Guzik. Uh, when we come back here on the Outlaw Radio Show. Hey, this is Josh. Thanks for joining us for today's special edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. Pastor Zach is joined in the studio by Pastor David Guzik. We wanted to give you some contact information for Pastor David's ministry. If you visit EnduringWord.com, you'll find tons of resources, Bible teaching. You'll find commentaries and even a list of radio stations where you can hear the Enduring Word radio program. Please stay with us as Pastor Zach and David continue this insightful discussion on Christianity and politics. Here's Pastor Zach and David Guzik with part two of today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. Today they're talking about politics in the church. We're back with the Outlaw Radio Show with David Guzik. David, during the break, you mentioned a few thoughts about uh, the separation of church and state. So could you just add a little bit more to that discussion? Well, I, I think it's very important as the Constitution of the United States enshrines that, that Congress should make no law respecting religion, that uh, the government shouldn't try to lord it over religion, nor should I think the church have it as their goal to wield political power. However, I don't think that that means that the government should be hostile towards religion or towards spiritual things. And that's where we've seen kind of this warping of the idea of a separation between church and state, uh, where people think that that makes the, it responsible for the government to be positively hostile. Hmm. And that's not healthy or good for anybody. Uh, a friend of mine, knowing that we were going to be having this conversation, we were discussing these things. His name's Chad. He had a question that I think flows right into the, the, the conversation at hand. He said, how could a Christian not be in favor of amnesty slash undocumented workers slash open borders? I mean, wouldn't Jesus welcome the poor and downtrodden? And then he kind of adds in, like, wouldn't Jesus care for the poor? And, you know, within our culture, that that is a it's a hot button topic and you have churches um taking an interesting approach where they're opening their doors um to immigrants to illegal immigrants and uh, and there's kind of this dialogue that's happening even within christian circles um yes it's illegal but do we have a higher moral responsibility um do you have any thoughts about how the church should be handling an issue like 
uh, immigration and specifically refugees and illegal immigration? Well, in the big picture with refugees, I think Christians need to fundamentally see them as a opportunity. The world is coming to us. We can bring the gospel to them. It's an opportunity for us to bring Jesus and uh, to people who are sometimes coming from places in the world that have been uh, almost impossible to reach before. I mean, th- this is a, it seems to be a God-given opportunity from a gospel perspective, and, and I think we need to be aware of that. And, and leave, in some sense, to the politicians these matters of how much to let in, where to let them in, how to let them in. But I, I don't think that the gospel in any way demands a open borders kind of philosophy. Um, if you were just to make the analogy of a family, I think it is an entirely Christian thing for a family to say, we're going to receive a needy individual or a, uh, a needy um, single mom and her child or even a needy family into our home, and we're going to accommodate them into our home, and we're going to show them the love of Jesus. I think that's a very wonderful and, and biblical thing to do. But it, it's another thing entirely for the family to say, we're going to open up our home to whoever wants to stay here for however they want, however long they want, whatever they want to use. Because what that'll do is that'll ruin um, the life for everybody in the household. Uh, you, you'll make you'll make that household as bad as the places where everybody left. And so I, I think it's in completely within the rights of a nation to say we want to act with compassion, we want to do good in the world, but we only want to receive enough people and the kind of people for whom we can do good for. Uh, I, I think that that's up to the uh, politicians to figure out. But in the bigger picture, I think Christians should see this influx of people from different backgrounds and different places of the world as an opportunity for us to preach the gospel. So you wouldn't necessarily say that if, as a Christian engaged in the political sphere, if they brought up, hey, we need we need a border, we need uh, a, a larger gate, we need a pathway, like, you know... We live in a in a climate where if you if you voice any of these type of like we need to restrict some of the the refugee flow or we need to restrict some of the the illegals crossing the border or hey you know we we need a wall you get you get classified as being unchristian uncaring et cetera et cetera et cetera you would say that that's the other extreme that that's wrong right absolutely uh, of course um, you know people are always going to want to make political hay out of a position that somebody takes. So you just have to accept that that's part of the world that we live in and not be overly concerned about it. Is it um, wrong, would you say, is it wrong for a Christian to be nationalistic? Well, that's a very good question. I think that there is a measure of patriotism and even nationalism that is entirely commanded and permitted by the Bible. Interesting. I mean, Romans 13 and, uh, and what Peter says about the state in his writings really speak to us about a patriotic good citizen who honors the king, who prays for rulers, who is supportive, again, who pays their taxes. I, I think all those things. But just like with many things, it can very easily become a matter of idolatry. And we've seen it with states in the past. And I, I don't doubt that for some people, uh, they have an idolatrous regard of the United States. And, uh, you know, of course, that's never good. But th- there is a measure of patriotism. And this, I'll give you an example, Zach. Is, uh, I- I've heard in recent weeks some people try to make the analogy between the practice in the early church where the Roman government in times of persecution commanded Christians to burn a pinch of incense to a statue of Caesar and say the words, Caesar is Lord. And if they didn't do it, they could likely end up dead because of that. So this uh, oath of allegiance to Caesar, to say Caesar is Lord and make uh, some kind of a sacrifice to him. I've heard some Christian writers, I've read their stuff, they're trying to say, well, the Pledge of Allegiance is just like that and Christians shouldn't have anything. I, I would disagree strongly. 
I would regard something like the Pledge of Allegiance as an appropriate expression of honor according to what the Bible says we should do. Honor the king, pay our taxes, pray for the the uh, the rulers so let me, and such. So let me ask. I regard that as an appropriate thing, whereas I have no problem seeing the burning of a pinch of incense to Caesar and saying Caesar is Lord. That's far overstepping the bounds. So do you think it, it would be inappropriate uh, for a Christian to to kneel in protest during the national anthem? Uh, you know, that's a little more complicated issue, and I would just complicate it with this, is that uh, the, the sphere in which you're talking about, in which they're doing it, uh, they're doing it on the job. If they're, I, I, think, I think a Christian has the right to make that kind of protest if they, you know, if their conscience tells them to do it, and they, whatever, if they, all, all the rest of it, but th- there's also obligations that we have before God to our employer. Right. And if our employer tells us, don't do it, uh, it's bad for business. Uh, for example, uh, if I work at a restaurant, I'm a waiter, and I want to wear a, um, uh, a T-shirt that says, uh, vote for Donald Trump, and that's my T-shirt. And if my boss says, hey, I don't want you to wear that T-shirt, you're going to offend some of our customers. I, I, I don't think, a, as a Christian, I should have the idea, well, forget the customers, I want to make my political statement. Uh, I, I think that's wrong. I, I have to be a good employee, not just a good citizen. And you do. You have some competing values that you have to evaluate and weigh. So um, if if a employee wants to make a protest or something on their own time, in their own sphere, I have much more sympathy than for them doing something that their employer may not agree with. Now, if their employer is fine with it, then go right ahead. Engage in the process. Is there is there a distinction sure. between the virtuous state and the virtuous individual, or should there ever be a distinction between the two? Oh, there, there's certainly a distinction, um, but th- there's just many things that are in common. Of course, uh, you know, individuals are supposed to act with um, honesty as a character. The state should act with honesty. Uh, individuals should act with financial integrity. The state should act with financial integrity. The uh, individual should act to protect uh, those who need protection. The state should have a concern for those things as well. So there's overlap, but I don't think it's exactly the same. Gotcha. Well, we're running up against a hard break. Uh, We'd love to hear from you here at the Outlaw Radio Show. Our phone number is 678-883-3316. Leave a voicemail. If it's pithy, we'll play it on the air. Uh, We'll be back in just a minute or two. More with David Guzik, our final block. Don't go anywhere. Uh, Come back right here on the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the things we want to accomplish with Outlaw Radio is to challenge Christians to think critically ask relevant questions, and then seek answers on their own. The sad truth is that there are many Christians walking around representing Jesus with literally no clue why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to our show tackling the tough topics you might not hear on Sunday at church, we want to equip you, inspire you, and challenge you to study God's Word and wrestle with these challenging topics on your own. To aid you in this process, we want to share a resource we find incredibly valuable. Check out blueletterbible.org. In addition to a treasure trove of free commentaries, blueletterbible.org has an incredible word search function, as well as the ability to dive into the original language behind a text. Basically, blueletterbible.org simplifies the process where you can study the Bible on your own. All right, we're back here on the Outlaw Radio Show with Pastor David Guzik. David, I wanted to ask, if the state, we're talking about Christianity and politics, and we frame the the conversation to a large extent in a, in a positive nature, like the positive influence, the positive interactions. Let me flip the script a minute. If the state were to become hostile to Christians, would it be wrong for Christians to take up arms to defend ourselves? Well, I don't think it's out of the question, but it's really, really far down the line. Well, um, like extrapolate it into a dynamic, let's say North Korea, where you it's illegal to be a Christian. You'll be executed if you're a Christian um, or countries like Saudi Arabia, where 
uh, it's a high crime uh, to be a Christian or to own a Bible. Uh, would it would it be wrong for Christians to form their own militia to defend themselves or to try to bring about some type of freedom? Well, it's a really complicated question because it has to do with a lot of different institutions. I don't think Christians should look to establish like a Christian monarchy or dictatorship. Um, but if Christians have the power in a democracy to affect that change, I think they should, and it may take some force of arms to be able to promote those, uh, or to protect, I should say, not promote, to protect uh, those democratic ideals. I, I think that's very much kind of the thing that happened in the American Revolution. Um, the American Revolution wasn't established to institute a tyranny. It was to reflect the democratic will of the people. Even though there were plenty of English sympathizers in the colonies, uh, they were by no means a majority, and this wasn't an instance of a Christian minority exerting its political power or military power over a reluctant or resistant minority. That wasn't the situation at all. So it, it, it's a pretty complicated question. I, I can think of a scenario where I think it could be done right, where it could be done well. But um, I think it would be a pretty hypothetical situation. Has there ever been historically an example where Christians formed, for lack of a better way of defining it, their own militia uh, to defend certain inalienable rights? Well, it, you know, a, an example of a Christian militia would be like in Lebanon, where the um, political situation is separated between different factions of Muslims and then a Christian faction. And there are definite Christian militias and such as that. But here's kind of the problem. I mean, frankly speaking, th those are largely culturally Christian militias. Um, you know, they have a connection with genuine Christianity and with the church, but it it's more a product of cultural Christianity than perhaps believing Christianity. So, um, there have been instances in the more recent and more distant past where Christians have um, because the, the, the principle of a right to protect yourself and your family and what you have, I mean, that's biblical. So uh, if Christians organize to affect such protection, I, I think that can be something that's very much in the will of God. That's a fascinating answer. The um, Not to push too hard on it, but... And, and it's difficult when you're when you're playing out hypothetical scenarios. But but I had one sure. guy actually send in a question on this topic about guns. Let's say that there was a dynamic. We're here in the South. Everybody's armed. But in the South, you know, let's say they repealed the Second Amendment and guns became illegal and the, the state decided to, to confiscate firearms. Would it be wrong for a Christian to defy that particular order and hide guns like from a from a, a our relationship with the lord our submission to the state like where's the line you see what i'm saying i see what you're saying and um obviously this is one of those things where the bible doesn't give a direct command regarding uh but i think that i can think of biblical principles that would allow a christian who felt in good conscience a gun is necessary for the protection of myself, my family, and the resources God has given me. Um, even though the state says I can't have one, uh, I'm going to retain one, and so I'll do that. And if I'm penalized for it, I'll accept the penalty. I, I could see a Christian being willing to do that and finding some scriptural basis for doing that. Look, Zach, I, I don't want to get too – and I'll, I'll just say for myself, I – I don't own a gun. Um, I'm not spooked by guns. I'm not afraid of them. It doesn't bother me that other people, well, but I don't own a gun. But Jesus and the disciples apparently carried a sword around for themselves for self-defense hmm. um, because Jesus made reference in their midst to put away the sword that they had. And in, in the context and everything, it just seems like it was the kind of thing that they carried around with them. And then if Peter actually used it, Jesus could heal the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so. <laughs> right. Is there a Is there a a a most biblical form of government 
I mean, I mean, we're in a fallen planet, a sinful world, sinful people. Ultimately, we know that there is a coming government, uh, Jesus, who will rule and reign. But, but what would be from a from a biblical angle, the most the most scriptural form of government that that we could employ? Well, obviously, just like you said, the the best form of government would be a theocracy under King Jesus. So. That's what we're all holding out for. In the meantime, I think a case can be made that a democratic republic uh, best reflects the ideals of Scripture. And I hope that I'm not saying that just as a Christian who lives in a democratic republic, and it's not just a thing of me saying, yeah, pro-America. But on the one hand of being a republic, it means that we're governed, uh, hopefully, by laws and not by men. And, and this, this is, a, a, on principle, a reflection of our honoring of God's law and recognizing that no man is above God's law. So the idea of a republic being ruled by laws and not fundamentally by men, but then also the other aspect of it being a democratic republic, I think the scriptural advantage of a democracy is it recognizes the fallenness of man and it diffuses the concentration of power as broadly as possible so that uh, no one fallen man or small group of fallen men can rule over the others. So I I see a lot to commend uh, a democratic republic as being a best form of biblical government in a fallen world. But, um, you know, if you have a king who's godly and rules well, it's hard to... uh, it's hard to argue against that. It just seems like our institutions in our modern age is not set up for that at all. One final question, uh, and this came from Larry. He wanted me to ask, how should a Christian serve in politics knowing the compromise that he would have to subject himself to? Well, uh, you'd have to do it with integrity, and you'd have to have a very clear understanding going in of lines that you would cross, be willing to cross. Because, look, politics, its it's been said before, and there's a lot of truth to it. Politics is the art of compromise. Uh, if people think that the best politician is the one who absolutely never compromises, then that politician will never accomplish anything. Uh, just, just having to work with others in the civil sphere means some level of compromise. But... There has to be fundamental principles and fundamental, uh, you know, sort of tripwires of character and virtue that we recognize we will not cross, and uh, to be very steadfast on that. With the, you, you got you, you got to be willing to lose your office. I would say, wow, uh, right, in order to observe integrity. If retaining your office is the absolute highest good to you, then you shouldn't be a politician. <laughs> it would be very difficult to be in politics. Uh, in that in that particular context, no doubt about it. David, what's your what what's your website again? Uh, EnduringWord.com. Lots of Bible resources there. Commentary through the whole Bible. Lots of audio and video resources. Some people find it helpful. You you have an an entire Bible commentary. How long did it take you uh, to complete? Well, it kind of reflects work uh, that goes all the way back thirty years plus. Uh, But really, it's kind of been a very dedicated goal of my life to finish commentary, uh, some kind of commentary at least, on the entire Bible for the last 20 years. So it's a a life's work. I'll tell you, the audience, if you love the Bible and are looking for a good first place to go uh, to deepen your study and your understanding of God's Word— um, I can think of, of nobody I would I would recommend uh, other than David Guzik. Um, his website is a is a weekly visit for me, and I encourage you to go check it out. David, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, You're welcome, Zach. Glad to do it. Absolutely. Well, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. If you'd like what you heard, please check out our website. It's outlawradio.org. Once again, that's outlawradio.org. Uh, you can. Con- connect with me via Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, If you want to listen to this episode, if you're listening in the car, on the radio, uh, you only caught part of it, uh, visiting our website enables you to check out the podcast and you can listen to this episode in its entirety. Much grace. God bless. See you this time next week. You 
You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.